Hello and welcome to Eat This Podcast with me, Jeremy Chaffers. Today, a conversation I recorded a month or so ago during the lockdown here and in the UK. My name is Jeremy Hagar. I'm a professor of agroecology at the Natural Resources Institute in the University of Greenwich. And I work on the sustainability of agriculture and forestry. Particularly, I have focused on uh, coffee production in Central America, where I lived and worked for 20 years, uh, and now more recently in, in Sierra Leone and in West Africa. And one of the interesting things about coffee is uh, that it can be grown in what we call agroforestry systems, or what is often called in the coffee trades, shaded coffee. Uh, so you can combine coffee as a commercial crop, but grow it in a forest-like uh, in- environment uh, that uh, can generate uh, environmental benefits, uh, host biodiversity, maintain carbon stocks, maintain uh, the soil, conserve water sources, as well as producing something to meet people's livelihood needs. But we're not going to talk about the benefits of shade coffee, not least because I'd hope that most of you are already persuaded that shade-grown coffee is a good thing. But instead, I wanted to talk to Jeremy Hagar because he had just published a paper about rediscovering a couple of long-lost species of coffee in West Africa. The species are called Coffea stenophila and Coffea affinis, and they came as news to me. I thought all coffee was either Robusta or Arabica, whose scientific name is Coffea Arabica, because it comes from Arabia? Uh, yeah, well, it's native to Ethiopia. The reason that, uh, as Europeans, we called it coffee Arabic or, or Arabian coffee is because the Europeans first knew coffee, coffee from the Arab traders. There is uh, and was uh, some production of coffee in, uh, in Yemen, but actually they were buying most of their coffee from Ethiopia but they uh, purposely kept uh, it a secret as to what they're actual, where they were actually sourcing their coffee from. And it wasn't until, well, probably in the late 1700s that Europeans uh, realized and, and then through different uh, circuitous routes, uh, stole some uh, seed and uh, took it around the world. But yeah, Arabica coffee is from, from Ethiopia. Um, and then the other coffee variety that I know is, is Robusta, but its Latin name is Canephora. Um, where's that from? Yeah, well, so Robusta is really a variety of Canephora. It is native to the, um, well, to the Congo Basin and uh, uh, into West Africa a bit, and also in Western Uganda, um, where uh, Robusta coffee was possibly cultivated, but certainly uh, looked after and uh, had some utility, is still present in wild populations in forests. And indeed, you you can even buy wild Robusta coffee. Uh, there's a very small quantity, but it is, uh, it actually is extremely good. So it, it's different from Arabica, but there is, it is a very good quality coffee and interesting to, interesting something different to try. It's, well, it's interesting because coffee, coffee people tend to say Robusta is rubbish and Arabica is the only good stuff. But uh, I'm interested to hear you say that. Yeah, that is the tendency. And it's partly 
uh, you know, but there are some good robustas that are, you know, that have distinct flavor profiles. And there's a couple of Ugandans I've tried that are very, that were very, very nice, very interesting. Um, but there's also, yeah, there's also quality robustas produced from India and one or two other places as well. And they're, they're gaining a bit more recognition. Okay, so with Coffea Arabica and Coffea Robusta, or Canophora, out of the way, time to get stuck into the two species that Jeremy Hagar rediscovered. The first species that uh, we knew of or was interested in was the Coffea stenophylla, or the Sierra Leone Highland coffee. I came to know about that because I was working on uh, a project in Sierra Leone to rehabilitate the Robusta coffee production there. Uh, Sierra Leone used to be quite a large producer of Robusta coffee, uh, but that was lost during the Civil War. And uh, this was an EU-funded program to help rehabilitate the sector. Uh, so when in Sierra Leone, I was visited a, uh, a research station where they had a small collection of coffee. And there they were, they showed me uh, three plants of uh, what they considered was the Coffea stenophylla. So I started to look more into this species, uh, including visiting uh, Kew Gardens, the herbarium at Kew with Aaron Davis, where they have some of the original specimens of stenophylla, and also a coffee collection, international coffee collection uh, in Costa Rica, uh, where I used to work. And I realized that the plants in Sierra Leone looked quite different from the herbarium specimens and the, and the one plant that was in the coffee, international coffee collection in Costa Rica. So uh, we wanted to firstly find out what these plants were in the collection, uh, but also see if we could find any stenophylla coffee uh, still in production in Sierra Leone, because we found records indicating that it, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, it was produced and exported from Sierra Leone. So with my colleagues there, we, we were working with about 10,000 farmers across uh, eastern Sierra Leone, and we put out the word to bring in samples of any strange coffees that they had in their, on their farms. And uh, so we, sort of, we sifted through those and sorted them and developed a set of uh, specimens that we then sent to... Kew Gardens to Aaron Davis uh, for uh, genetic analysis. You mentioned that um, stenophylla w was was grown and, and even exported. That's from the historical literature from Sierra Leone and the area. Uh, yes, that's correct. Yes, um, from different sources. So there's, for example, there's communication between the head of Kew Gardens at that time um, and. Uh, a, a representative from the colonial government in, in Freetown. Uh, they were establishing a botanic garden in Freetown and also discussing the crops of commercial potential for production in Sierra Leone. And as part of that uh, discussion, they talk about the production of uh, the, the availability of uh, the Sierra Leone Highland coffee uh, being produced and exported from Sierra Leone at that time. Uh, but also another coffee, the Liberian coffee, which is uh, much, much better known, which was also, which was available in much larger quantities. But m most of it is not very particularly nice to drink. Again, there are one or two sources that have some positive uh, uh, attributes. But stenophylla, I mean, according to the historic literature, stenophylla is pretty good to drink. 
And so what happened to it? So, I mean, we don't know in detail. We understand that it's not very productive and perhaps takes several years to start production. Uh, so it was certainly uh, primarily by the, by the British and by the French. It was taken around uh, various parts of the world. And so we know it's been tried in Trinidad and in Uganda and in Central America, uh, amongst other places. We presume that because of its low productivity, it was uh, discarded as a commercial uh, a species of commercial interest. And in Sierra Leone, we presume that in the late uh, 1800s, there was no Robusta coffee there. Uh, we presume it was the British introduced it. And because it is uh, more productive and, and it is robust, <laughs> it is fairly easy to grow and very productive, it, that it displaced uh, the native coffee uh, as, a, as the main so, so did you find any plants of Stenophylla um, growing in the wild or on farms? Uh, well, on farms, we found absolutely none. Uh, and indeed, we found no farmers who knew anything about it, nor local people. The only people who knew about it were one or two uh, researchers. And it seemed that even uh, the, sort of the local name and sort of had been lost from, from local knowledge and my uh, my local counterpart is from that area. He grew up in a local community that grow coffee quite close to uh, where Stenophila used to be, but it was totally unknown at that point. So uh, as we didn't find it on the farms, we decided we'd have to go uh, and see if we could still find it in some of the remaining forest areas in Sierra Leone. We, we organized a visit to three of the forest reserves, one of which uh, is actually quite right next to the main road from Freetown to uh, to Bow and Kenema. So I'd actually driven past it many times uh, and, uh, and realized there wasn't very much forest left there, although it is uh, a forest reserve, but there's a small amount of forest left on uh, one or two of the hilltops. And with the local forestry officers, we, uh, we uh, managed to visit uh, one or two of those hilltops and on one of them, we found literally one plant of Stenophila coffee. Uh, so that was great to have found, but also a little bit uh, disheartening in the sense of one plant doesn't quite <laughs> uh, enable you to do very much. <laughs> Nevertheless, there were still one or two other sites to visit. And so we went, uh, we continued uh, further inland to, uh, to Kenema. Uh, it had never been recorded for there before, so we were a bit doubtful uh, because it is uh, a fairly accessible air area. Um, but nevertheless, we, we, we were there. We, um, we were lucky after a few hours, a few hours of uh, entering the forest and getting up to a, uh, an elevation uh, where there had been no previous logging, etc. Uh, we found a, a small population, about 15, 20 plants. Was there enough coffee that you could get a taste of it? Uh, not yet. So they did. Uh, when we visited, there was no, there were no berries. But I think it was in uh, January, February this year when our colleagues uh, visited again. They were able to get a a small sample, literally a handful, uh, of beans, and um, uh, they sent them to us. They arrived just before we went into lockdown, <laughs> so we haven't been able to try them yet. But it, also, we have to. Uh, it's very difficult to to, to roast a, a, such a small quantity of coffee. But uh, we we think we know someone who has a micro roaster that hopefully will be able to 
uh, to do that. Do you think there's any chance that these species will become important crops in their own right once again? Uh, I suspect in their own right, uh, if they have good cup quality, there's certainly potential for small-scale production for a a specialty market that is willing to pay uh, a substantially higher price. Uh, but I, but given the uh, assuming, hopefully, when we come out of coronavirus, <laughs> the uh, the demand for uh, specialty coffees will uh, will be maintained. Then I think there's potential, uh, yeah, for for production as an as a niche product. Yeah, because th- there are a lot of people who are prepared to pay quite high prices for rare and and unusual coffees, let let alone fair trade prices. So, so it could be that that we'll see this stuff coming to market. We certainly hope so. Um, we, we hope that they prove to be uh, as good as the old literature uh, indicates, and that that is a you know, that potential can be realised. Because what, I mean, one of the things I've seen a lot of in the past few years is that climate change, changing climate directly, and also changing patterns of disease, is in fact a threat to existing coffee arabica and and robusta. Do these species have anything? To offer breeders? Uh, yes, they certainly do. Well, as in, in terms of climate adaptability, one of the interesting things about, uh, well, although it's called Sierra Leone Highland coffee, and, and it does grow on, on hilltops, those hilltops are actually at a fairly low altitude, so around four or 500 meters above sea level. Uh, so that's much, that's much lower than you would grow uh, Arabica coffee. So Arabica coffee, you'd usually be, you know, would certainly be above a thousand meters. It depends exactly where you are. So it appears that Stenophylla is uh, adapted to a lower altitude, i.e., slightly warmer conditions. Also, it it grows on these uh, on hilltops or, or slopes, so quite uh, sort of droughty positions. Uh, so there's at least uh, an impression that they might have some drought resistance. I mean, that that definitely remains to be proven. So there's, there's certainly some uh, ecological adaptation there, distinct, uh, certainly from where Arabica would be adapted to. Now, there may be a potential to genetically improve those species to improve their productivity or to cross uh, with Arabica or maybe cross with Robusta or Liberica. So in terms of those hybrids, just to go back to those three plants that we found in the Sierra Leone coffee collection, uh, when we did the genetic analysis of those, it turned out that they were hybrids between uh, Stenophylla coffee and uh, Liberian coffee, or Coffea liberica. And we don't we know that coffees do hybridize quite quite easily. Uh, what we don't know is that those were those hybrids were accidents or or deliberate. At the moment, those hybrids are uh, they appear to be not very productive. There would need to be further breeding work done on those to see if they could be developed into something more sorry, economically productive. And as regards uh, disease resistance, there is some indication that uh, stenophylla might have resistance to coffee rust, but you know, again, that, that would need to be, uh, no, that would need to be tested more rigorously. Is, is breeding new coffee varieties, is, is that an important activity? Who's, who's doing that kind of thing? There are various institutes uh, working on that. Certainly, I mean, the big coffee-producing countries, uh, 
uh, like Brazil and uh, Colombia uh, have their own, have their own coffee uh, breeding programs. Central America, where I worked for 20 years uh, in coffee, the, there are national coffee institutes, but they come together in a in a regional network and they maintain their own uh, breeding program. So there are ongoing breeding programs in different parts of the world. Yes. What about the future? Have you got your eye on, on other coffee species? I mean, what happens now? Immediate interest is to secure and uh, test further and trial into cultivation the, 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 two, the two species in Sierra Leone. Yeah, we're in, in, in the process of looking for funding to, uh, to do that. Also, you know, we, we would want to look for that species. There are other forest reserves in the area that where it potentially could be found. We're hoping that it's more, a bit more widespread than, uh, than the few, few plants we've found. Certainly put, uh, promote uh, actions with the Sierra Leone conservation organizations to conserve the, uh, the forest and the populations that we found uh, and work with the agricultural research or, uh, institutions to test and bring into cultivation uh, from seed that we can collect from the plants that that have been found in Sierra Leone. So, so that would be those are that's I would say is our immediate uh, interest. You you mentioned that um, some of the forest reserves don't have a lot of forest in them. I don't know what what the, what the deforestation is like in Sierra Leone. Is this the kind of thing that could actually, I don't know, help to preserve forest? Well, we hope so. I mean, certainly, well, even in the the forest where we did find uh, the, the the larger populations, um, it is um, it's <clears throat> yeah. There is some very nice forest there still, but it is also under threat. Particularly, while well, on the northern side, there was active deforestation by local people to plant crops, um, and also. Uh, further into the reserve, there was an area that had been opened up for gold mining, for artisanal gold mining. Uh, so that, that's still affecting a fairly small uh, area of the forest. But um, yeah, there's it's, uh, but it is being eaten away at slowly. Uh, the the first site that we visited, I would say less, maybe twenty percent of the original forest of well of the forest reserve uh, is still is still covered in forest most and again there is ongoing uh, deforestation there by local people um, to grow food you know it's it's not uh, nobody's getting nobody's getting rich out of it it's just uh, lack of um, it's just yeah the need to grow food and feed your family uh, that is forcing people into those areas to to clear land uh, to sustain their their, their families Jeremy Hagar on coffee and deforestation in Sierra Leone. Obviously, there's still a lot more to be done, but it'd be nice to think that shade-grown Stenophila coffee could provide local people with a way to earn a living that would also protect some of the local biodiversity. I'll put a link to Jeremy Hagar's paper about the rediscovered coffee species in the show notes at eatthispodcast.com. And there's something else I've been doing there, too. After more than 200 episodes, it's obvious that there are certain broad topics or themes. So, to make it easier to find them, 
I've got a new page of special collections, which gathers together all the episodes about, say, plant varieties, or now, coffee. I'll slowly add new themes to these collections as and when the need arises. Some housekeeping news, I'll be taking a short break over the summer, back in August probably. If you're subscribed to the newsletter or in your podcast player, maybe even both, you don't need to do anything. I'll just show up again when I'm ready. And if you're not subscribed, well, why not? Finally, thanks again to everyone who supports the show with a donation. I really appreciate it. For now, though, from me, Jeremy Chaffers, and Eat This Podcast, goodbye, and thanks for listening.